Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today we're going to talk about the impeachment scheme, Fight Now. Impeachment fervor, why? I really want to talk about the roots of the impeachment. Vindman exposes the deep state, the whistleblower hypocrisy, and what due process really means. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. Hi again, and welcome to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. And for the first five today, I want to just give a little bit of an overview of the impeachment, which started today. The formal proceedings started in the U.S. House today. Also, there was commentary by one of the most conservative and widely read pundits that they believe that on the conservative side that the impeachment will for sure occur, that after this hearing, the House will vote to impeach, and actually that there's already a plan in place for the Senate to hold their hearing, which I'll talk about in a moment, and that there is even a plan in place or being contemplated for assuming the House impeaches and the Senate votes to remove the president, that the setup is all being laid out or prepared for Vice President Pence to become president and for Nikki Haley to be named vice president. This is speculation. This is putting together pieces and speculation. But I want to break it down because it really matters how we think about and talk about how we treat this impeachment effort. But to start with, the U.S. Senate has already announced Senator Burr, who is a chairman of the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence, which has, by the way, throughout the entire Russia-Trump collusion investigation, throughout all of the investigations occurring under President Trump, this committee has been suspiciously tepid on not really getting into the battle on behalf of the Republicans. And we have a Republican majority in the Senate so most people are thinking that, well, even if the House votes to impeach, the Senate won't remove. But there was an announcement by the chairman, again, of the, House, the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence, Chairman Richard Burr, they already made an impeachment trial scheduling for the Senate. They've announced, this Intel Chair Richard Burr announces the trial for last will last for six to eight weeks. It'll run six days a week from 1230 to 6.30 p.m., a big chunk of time. I'm getting at the point the Senate is already thinking through how they will, the timing, how long this impeachment trial will take. Much unfortunate speculation that there may be actually an effort by the Senate to, or, and by those opposed to President Trump to force even the Republican-controlled Senate to vote to remove the president. And there's, as I say, much suspicion about numerous members of the Senate Select Intelligence Committee on Intelligence because they just simply have not been much of a help to President Trump throughout his trials and his uh, accusations against him. There's also been uh, also talking about the idea that it appears there is no constitutional prohibition on the Senate actually holding their vote after the impeachment trial, their vote to remove, there is no requirement that the Senate do that publicly. Or put the other way, there's no prohibition on the idea that the Senate could hold a closed vote. So you wouldn't really know how your senator voted. Now, obviously, I'm talking about a lot of speculation, but I'm doing it for a reason. We need to not get down the path in our thinking 
on the conservative side, the people who want to defend President Trump from this just outrageous, ridiculous attack, which I will talk about more in the next segment. We need to not get down the path so quickly of thinking that the, even the impeachment vote by the House is a foregone conclusion. We, there is nothing to this alleged allegation, this allegation of wrongdoing against President Trump. There's nothing to it. We'll be talking more about that in, in just a few minutes, including who the first witness was today. But there is nothing of substance that the president has done that justifies impeachment. And Nancy Pelosi and Adam Schiff and all of the leadership of the Democrat Party are perfectly aware of this. And so the American people need to be as involved in this impeachment process as we can. We can't just sit back and say, well, let's wait to see what the House is going to do. You know, they're a Democrat majority. They'll probably vote Trump out. We need to refuse to accept that as a foregone conclusion. We do, because even members of the U.S. House who are Democrats, even Democrats in Washington, elected officials, generally speaking, care about two things. They care about being reelected and they care about their sources of donations, their money. These are the two things that drive nearly every decision every member of the U.S. House and the U.S. Senate ever makes. And I'm not saying that there aren't senators and congressmen who believe strongly in certain issues who are strongly pro-life or strongly pro-military or strongly, you know, all sorts of, you know, secure border people. I'm not saying that they don't have those views, but what drives their decisions and even more so than their decisions, what drives their passion, what they will get involved with and fight about does in large part depend on who's pushing them, how much do they sense opposition, how much do they sense support, will they lose their next election, or will they lose significant financial support if they don't go along with a certain thing or they do go along with it. So on this impeachment thing, I cannot encourage you strongly enough, if you haven't done it already, every member of Congress should be hearing from people around the country, whether your member of Congress is Democrat or Republican, whether your senator is Democrat or Republican, you need to be reaching out to both of your senators, whoever your member of Congress is, any other members of Congress you know of, you have any contact with, you need to be reaching out to them to say, you oppose this impeachment. Don't you dare. Folks, I would not be saying this if President Trump had done anything remotely resembling an impeachable offense. I am not a particular sycophant for President Trump. I am a profoundly dedicated, patriotic American, concerned and committed to the idea of the Constitution, the rule of law, and the preservation of our republic. And that is what is on the table in this impeachment. It is not about who said what in a conversation between Trump and Zelensky. It is not about all the little details that they're going to drag out in this impeachment hearing about whether or not there was a... Um, you know, quid pro quo, or can you really call it a quid pro quo? Maybe that's not right, call something else. It has nothing to do with why the Democrats are moving this impeachment hearing. And I want to close the first five by turning to Matt, the extremely wonderful producer, and see if he can play for us a clip. I, uh, there was an opening statement today made by Devin Nunes in this hearing, that is this impeachment hearing. I want to have you play this, uh, Devin Nunes' opening statement. Uh, what he really does in this statement is lay out what the Democrats are really doing. This is Devin Nunes. In a July open hearing of this committee following publication of the Mueller report, the Democrats engaged in a last ditch effort to convince the American people that President Trump is a Russian agent. 
That hearing was the pitiful finale of a three-year-long operation by the Democrats, the corrupt media, and partisan bureaucrats to overturn the results of the 2016 election. After the spectacular implosion of their Russia hoax on July 24th, in which they spent years denouncing any Republican who ever shook hands with a Russian, on July 25th, they turned on a dime and now claim the real malfeasance is Republicans' dealings with Ukraine. In the blink of an eye, we're asked to simply forget about Democrats on this committee, falsely claiming they had more than circumstantial evidence of collusion between President Trump and Russians. We should forget about them reading fabrications of Trump-Russia collusion from the Steele dossier into the congressional record. We should also forget about them trying to obtain nude pictures of Trump from Russian pranksters who pretended to be Ukrainian officials. We should forget about them leaking a false story to CNN while he was still testifying to our committee claiming that Donald Trump Jr. was colluding with WikiLeaks. And forget about countless other deceptions, large and small, that make them the last people on earth with the credibility to hurl more preposterous accusations at their political opponents. And yet now, here we are, we're supposed to take these people at face value when they trot out a new batch of allegations. But anyone familiar with the Democrats' scorched earth war against President Trump would not be surprised to see all the typical signs that this is a carefully orchestrated media smear campaign. You know, I'll tell you folks, I wanted to play that lengthy segment because I want you to see, Devin Nunes did a great job pointing out, again, this impeachment that we're all watching in Washington has nothing at all whatsoever to do with the Ukraine and President Zelensky of the Ukraine and President Trump. It has to do with the determination of the American left to take out President Trump at any cost, by any means possible, and their absolute un- just they, they will not be stopped. Relentless effort to destroy him. This is entirely and only what this impeachment effort is about. To close out the first five, I'll mention that uh, Adam Schiff, the chair of this committee in the House, is hearing the impeachment proceedings. Um, he released rules this morning about wh- essentially how the proceedings will be uh, what, what the rule, what rules will apply, and you know he dresses it up in all sorts of fancy terms. But the important things to know are. The Republicans cannot call any witnesses unless the Democrats okay that person. They've already said, can't talk about the Bidens, can't talk about Hunter Biden, can't call Hunter Biden, can't call the whistleblower. Both of those stories, I'll talk about a little later in the show, about both um, the uh, whistleblower and the... Um, and Hunter Biden, and also that there has been, there would just be, the witnesses are controlled by the Democrats. And in today's closing, I'm gonna talk about the idea of what due process really means. What the Democrats have set up in Washington is, at this hearing, is witch hunt is far too uh, tender, soft, and almost friendly a term. This is an absolute ramrodding, a railroading, a, a just, unrelenting determination to remove the president for any reason, for any possible, and give him no opportunity to defend himself, no opportunity to explain the issues, no opportunity to to handle the uh, accusations against him in the way any other person would be permitted. 
And closing out this first five, we're going to turn to next why the Democrats are so on fire to destroy this president. And that, my friends, is today's first five. You know, when President Trump won the election in 2016, there was a, um, it shocked the world, of course, shocked Hillary Clinton, shocked the Washington establishment, shocked the media, shocked a lot of people. And what came to light shortly after that, the American people began, became aware that there had been ongoing inside the FBI and Department of Justice this effort to destroy the president, this weaponizing of the uh, FBI and DOJ of their resources to attack the political opponents of the Obama administration. This became more and more evidence was being investigated now by uh, Attorney General uh, William Barr and also U.S. Attorney Durham looking into what exactly got these people started. Why did they start just 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 utter, you know, attack on Trump and his entire team, the, the entire the political opponents of the Obama administration. So one reason there's so much fervor in the House, the, among the main reasons, there's so much fervor and determination in the American left to take Trump out is because they want to have impeachment in the headlines, impeachment in the uh, in the every news cycle, dominating who testified today, what do they say, what great little uh, grabs of, of statements did they get from somebody, what do they prove? These they want this dominating the headlines so that when the Inspector General report comes out when the uh, investigation by U.S. Attorney Durham comes out, when Attorney General Barr releases any further information he has, all of that is going to be a horrible condemnation of the American left, horrible condemnation of the Obama administration, of the top national security agencies in our country, totally corrupted by the Obama administration and their determination to get their political opponents. What the advocates for impeachment want is the American public chasing the next headline and next witness and next story about impeachment to the degree so they won't be paying attention to what it was that was really happening and what has been, will, uh, is about to be exposed by the, the inspector general, by Durham and by Barr. But there's even a deeper answer to the question of why this impeachment fervor is ongoing even a deeper point and gets it really matters to understand this in the long-term scope of american history and that is this under president obama for eight years in our country we had a president a radical leftist president who set out as he acknowledged to radically transform america to fundamentally transform America. His path forward in bringing to the American public, inflicting on the American people, his radical leftism, he made great headway in those eight years, great headway. He turned the federal government into a weapon against the people. The IRS, the FBI, the DOJ, the NSA, the CIA, federal agencies were corrupted with that left-wing, leftist, ideologue, totalitarian mindset that is President Obama. Those agencies were corrupted with that. The IRS went along with targeting political enemies of the president. The FBI, DOJ, CIA, NSI, all of them corrupted by President Obama's 
not just him personally, his people, but the ideology that the purpose of government is to hold power, to grow power, to collect power, to control the people. This leftist mentality, I want to run through about five or six examples of the way under the Obama era, the federal government in Washington and the mindset of people who work in the government was transformed by the radical leftism that President Obama believed in. Radical leftists, totalitarians, you usurp the role of what are supposed to be in America, agencies serving the American people, the IRS, NSA, FBI, DOJ, CIA, all of them corrupted by the President Obama's mentality, his mindset, in addition to corrupting them and, and turning them into, into his, his entities to be orchestrated and controlled by him to dictate to the people to control things, to direct the country, which was a huge problem. President Obama filled the ranks, the bureaucratic ranks of many agencies in Washington with other radical leftists who think like he does who reason like he does, State Department, FBI, DOJ, Department of Labor. The whole, when you're a leftist, your mission is control. It's never to help the people. It's never to free the people. It's to expand and expose the, and grow federal government power, to, to collectivize power, to bring it together, to have it live in Washington, in our case in America, Washington, as a means of controlling the people. Leftism is always about power and control, never about helping people. So President Obama weaponized agencies. He filled the ranks, the high-level bureaucratic ranks, with radical leftists, with the assumption they would continue doing his agenda even if he were not there. On the subject of immigration, in the eight years President Obama was president, he worked very hard to lure people from Central America. The, uh, we, these uh, caravans that appeared on the southern border in the last and the years under President Obama and expanding into the years under President Trump, those were not happenstance. They weren't just random. They weren't organic. There was a very deliberate effort of the American left to lure people who are poor from those Central American countries and from Mexico to send signals about policies that would welcome them, that would accept them, that would allow them to come in. We had lax border security. We had the growth of sanctuary cities. The idea that if you come here, we'll protect you. We'll keep you safe. We're never going to send you home. We pretty much abandoned our refugee standards, our standards and refugee law. Pretty much you want to come here, you can come here. We had immigration policy designed purposefully intending to lure people to come to America, to filter through our pretty much porous southern border, to get into our cities, to make them eligible for all sorts of government-funded benefits, to educate, to house, to care for, to enable them to come to America and make their home here without any legal status, any legal right to be here. The immigration mess at the border where we've been watching since President Trump came on board was orchestrated, manipulated, and intended by the leftists in this country who simply wanted to overwhelm the southern border, overwhelm the American population because 
The mission of the left ultimately is always and forever complete control over society. Their thought was, you get all these people up here, all these people from poorer countries, they have no idea what America stands for. They have no idea what, what it means to be in a democratic republic. They have no idea that we are based on free markets and self-reliance and not government dependence. The mission of the leftists was to get the, all these people in the country, as many as they could, rarely deport anyone. So they even find people, they, they enable the protection of people who are not supposed to be here. They don't cooperate with ICE. And the ultimate mission is for the left to ultimately get those numbers of people in such massive numbers, illegal aliens in our country. And at some point when the Democrats have the House, the Senate and the White House to have a massive amnesty and the Democrats will have created they will have created a permanent Democrat majority voting base. They will have, through immigration policy, enabled their control mission. The dem the, as I say, leftists are never about helping people. They're about, as they are about accumulating power, accumulating control, growing control, growing power. This is what the immigration mission of the Obama administration was, and it was very successful. On another front in the Obama administration under the last eight years prior to President Trump coming on board, there was an effort within Washington to denigrate the notion of America being a unique, extraordinary, exceptional country. It was a, a move toward globalization, more and more cooperation with the UN. It was completely ignoring the American constitution. So President Obama would go over to Iran, make the Iran deal, which was enabling the mullahs, the Islamic terrorists who are mullahs, enabling them to develop nuclear weapons under the guise of pretending that we had made a deal to stop them from developing nuclear weapons. We had military experts on the show talk about it, the idea that People informed and knowledgeable kept saying during the Iran deal negotiations, this is crazy, this is wrong. We are enabling them building nuclear weapons. President Trump was not, President Obama was not about to take that Iranian deal to the Senate, which he of course realized is not going to, going to pass, not going to authorize this treaty, which the constitution requires the president to bring to the Senate, wasn't gonna do that because he knew they wouldn't go along with it. President Trump entered into the climate deal, deal. He makes deals, not treaties, because if he made it a treaty, he would be bound by the Constitution to bring that through the Senate, and the Senate wasn't going to approve it. President Obama grew his power as president by engaging in deals that he called deals instead of treaties, circumventing the Constitution, which means circumventing the elected representatives of you, the people. So it was a a strengthening, it was a, a trend toward globalization, a, a mission to allow the president to be more and more in control of foreign policy, failing to follow the dictates of the Constitution. So President Obama, over eight years, accomplished uh, Another huge thing accomplished by President Obama, when all the jobs in our, our factories were moving abroad to other countries, the only answer to the Obama administration was to grow government dependency programs, massive growth of government dependency programs under President Obama. This was intentional. This is what people who love centralized power do. They need the people helplessly reliant on them. It's the destruction of the middle class through the, the moving away of jobs and the throwing up hands of hey, what are you going to do? The companies want to leave. No effort to try to bring jobs back here. So, you, And you had the 
the evisceration of the strength of the American military. President Obama worked very hard to hurt the American military, to put policies in place that the generals, who he ultimately got rid of, but that the leaders of the military said, these are bad policies. This is not, the military is not a Petri dish. This is not a social experimentation center. This is the military. President Trump diminished, excuse me, President Obama diminished the strength, the readiness of our military in a variety of ways because the military might actually be part of defending a strong America. President Obama said continually that we were going to have decades of fighting ISIS. We'd never get rid of them. You know, and we just had a, a we had the caliphate develop under President Obama because we weren't willing to stand up and be strong. So we had globalization, surrendering of America's uniqueness, surrendering of our borders, surrendering of sovereignty, surrendering of our strength of our military, surrendering the strength of our people, making them more and more dependent on government. We had open borders. We had masses of people coming to America illegally. We had the Obama administration protecting their legal presence in this country. All what a leftist would do with the ultimate mission of diminishing the extraordinary, unique greatness of America putting America on a path to socialism, which he did. First chance he got, got socialized medicine passed through our Congress. First chance. Leftists never miss out on any opportunity to seize power, to grow power. The federal government grew in great power during Obama's era. The EPA, we one specific, an extreme example, where the EPA just passed regulation after regulation after regulation, ultimately harming the ability of American companies to function. This was not, this was not accidental. This was not a surprise result. This was when you empower bureaucrats in Washington to regulate industries into oblivion or regulate them so they can barely function. Leftists do things like this. Obama did this for eight years. And then President Trump came along. President Trump's, just let me start with immigration. If President Trump can succeed in securing the border, beginning to enforce our immigration laws, actually deporting people who have no legal right to be here, actually taking action in terms of defining citizenship, immigration numbers, reducing the number of immigrants coming to America. President Trump has already reduced the number of refugees. A whole other policy Obama used to the detriment of the American people was massive expansion of refugee policy. President Trump's agenda on the immigration front alone is a massive boulder in the road to what Obama was trying to do to America. Obama was trying to use immigration as a means of destroying the fabric of freedom of America, uh, as a means of developing a permanent, massive Democrat Party voting base that would keep them in power, all because they legalized people who came here legally, whom they enticed to come here legally, illegally. So President Trump came along Immigration agenda is out the window. If President Trump can continue his immigration reform as he'd like, the effort of the left to use immigration to take over America has been gravely harmed, fatally wounded. Second, President Trump is actually re-inspiring the economy. When you have a weak economy, as we did under Obama, 
leftists always never missing out an opportunity to seize more power, always seize more power, always find people to blame, always concentrate more power, always gather more taxes, always create more dependency. President Trump came along and said, you know what, actually, we can bring jobs back. We have a manufacturing return of manufacturing jobs to America. We have the best employment numbers in decades for every category of employee. This is not accidental. This is not a surprise. This is a direct result of relying on the kind of ideas that free marketers believe in. This is what Trump has done to the left-wing agenda to keep America unemployed, dependent on the government, and weak. When people are strong, when they are self-reliant, this is what freedom lovers, American government officials should love. They want the American people to be strong, robust, self-reliant, able to pay for things themselves. Leftists thrive on making people feel like they're helpless and only way and, and thinking the only way they can function in life is to have the government provide for them. President Trump put another boulder into the road of the American left when he brought back manufacturing jobs, when he enabled the manufacturing jobs to, provi to provide jobs for families in the, mid in the Midwest. I mean, he has turned the, the employment picture and the economy around using the ideas of freedom, the ideas of freedom the left hates. President Trump has reinvigorated the military. He's put money back into the military. He's gotten rid of the petri dish social experiment ideas that President Obama used to harm the military. President Trump has reengaged the military. The point of this segment is this. If you want to understand why the left is engaged with such fervor in destroying President Trump and bringing him to the impeachment and impeaching him and removing him, it is because the Democrats are concerned about what happened in the FBI and the DOJ and all the corruption, the coup inside our national government against President Trump. Democrats are concerned when that comes out. A lot of their buddies are going to be in trouble. But even deeper than that, what President Trump has succeeded in doing in just three years is turning the tide of America back, onto, uh, back on track onto free markets and free economy and a strong economy and a secure border and enforcement of our laws, including our immigration laws, and a strong military and standing up for freedom in the world and standing up against ISIS. And really, we didn't defeat and destroy completely ISIS, but the area they had claimed as a caliphate has been destroyed. The point is, Trump is standing up for what America is supposed to be. Obama was driving America over the cliff. The left in this country, not the average grandma who votes Democrat her whole life, not, not the average Joe Democrat voter, the cabal of Democrats who run the Democrat party were right on board with every agenda item Obama had in mind. They're out of their minds realizing that Trump is, in, is destroying all of it. When Trump said drain the swamp, he meant way more than send just a few people home. It was radical redirecting America back on the path of freedom, back on the path of prosperity. And the drain the swamp has affected many, many players in Washington. Many people in Washington are realizing, wow, Trump actually meant it. So to wrap up this segment on this, why the impeachment fervor is so extreme, this is why. Not just because, it is because what we're going to discover, hopefully, from uh, attorney, uh, U.S. Attorney Durham's investigation and Attorney General Barr's information and the, and the Inspector General, all of that. But in the larger sense, the Democrats are crazy 
and they are determined for impeachment because they can't believe Trump is in, has destroyed the entire uh, eight years of progress Obama made in, in destroying America's freedom, in destroying America as a strong, as the beacon of liberty for the world, a, a beacon of strength, a country of strength. Obama weakened America in every way he could think of in eight years, and Trump is destroying all of that effort. I want to turn and talk about this uh, guy, Vindman, who's in the middle of all this. Uh, Vindman is uh, not testifying today. There was a guy who testified today. I'll have to get to him another day because I want to focus on Vindman for a minute. So this guy, Vindman, the reason, reason I want to talk about him, it's a real window on what it means when people talk about the deep state. You know, I can remember uh, one of the, I think it was a Saturday Night Live or, or some you know, idiotic left-wing entertainment was mocking the, uh, the concept, the existence of the idea of deep state. And they were just you know, kind of going, oh yeah, you guys are scared of the deep state, just like you know, ghosts, or you're scared of your own shadow. Acting like it was a manufactured, concocted thing. It wasn't a real thing. It is a real thing. It's not a club that all met one day and agreed to join the club called Deep State. It's the mindset that Obama had, that Obama placed in, the, in the, all sorts of positions of power throughout the federal government, the idea that these people would push forward the radical left's agenda regardless of who was elected, regardless of the directives of the president of the country, these people would be on the path toward the deep state radical left mentality. So getting to Vindman. So Vindman has, we've talked about him I think two weeks ago, I think. His name is Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman. He is, or was, like he still is actually, he's a member of the National Security Council. He gave his testimony, and basically in his testimony, you know, he was critical of President Trump and Trump's relationship with Zelensky of the Ukraine. This guy, uh, Vindman, actually is Ukrainian. He is from the country of Ukraine. He speaks Ukrainian fluently. He's an American citizen. He's an American military guy. He's on the National Security Council. He gave both his written statement and then he actually testified um, and in uh, one uh, they were still having their testimony in secret. But one thing he said is so revealing in his written testimony, so revealing about what this deep state thing is. It's a mentality, the deep state mentality, which is they are, they're the ruling class elite they're the ones really in charge. They know what's right for everything. They know what's the right policy for everybody. And they're going to be, you know, just they're not going to be pushed around by somebody changing the agenda that has been set in place by the radical left. They, they think they run the country. They want to run the country regardless of the elected officials giving them different directions. And which means regardless of what you, the American voters, choose. But on Vindman, in his statement he gave, uh, which I just want to read you a brief segment. This was a his statement he gave to Congress, and again, his name is V-I-N-D-M-A-N, Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman, who is in all sorts of questions about him. He showed up in full dress uniform, which is apparently not appropriate, uh, and, and has been and, and acknowledged in his testimony that when he knew that what Trump wanted, he, he basically acknowledged that he had said to the Ukrainian officials that he deals with, because that's his area of the world he's responsible for in the National Security Council, that he kind of told these people, you don't have to really listen to Rudy Giuliani. He's, Trump is sending Giuliani to talk to Ukrainians. This guy, Vindman, saying to the Ukrainians, you don't have to listen to him, don't listen to Giuliani, I'll, I'll tell you what's what. He's advising an, you know, a country 
to ignore our president and listen to him. But let me just tell you more, uh, the really revealing thing I think just tells you that deep state mentality, which is what must be drained. Vindman said in his written testimony, in the spring of 2019, I became aware of outside influencers promoting a false narrative of Ukraine inconsistent with the consensus views of the interagency. This narrative was harmful to U.S. government policy. So first of all, what he means by interagency, he's, he's way in the deep state. He's running the country. He and his buddies in the deep state, they can't be bothered listening to some goof like the president. So deep staters that include agencies, State Department, Department of Defense, intelligence agencies, who all meet to coordinate and plan implementation of policy. He's saying that Trump, President Trump and Rudy Giuliani, the president's lawyer acting on behalf of the president were interfering with correct policy with the Ukraine. He's telling you, I am the deep state. He's saying, I'm the deep state. We decide correct policy. We, all these, all these high level players and all these agencies, we decide. And this Trump can't come along and change things. He can't send Rudy Giuliani over here and say things. I'm in charge. I'm the deep state. This guy is telling you he does not think he has any reason he has to implement the policies of the president of the United States. To be clear, the Constitution is clear. The main person, the person in our country who has direction over foreign policy is the president. And this guy has the gall to testify that he's very bothered by the idea that the that uh, President Trump is doing a policy and making policy decisions um, uh, that are really um, kind of um, in, in unacceptable, in, not appropriate, not permissible, according to the deep state. And I want to, we're going to talk more about Vindman because there's so much to tell you about him, but I want, I gotta, I'm going to run out of time here. I want to hit two other quick things. But it's important to understand what Vindman is telling us telling America, he really does think that the president shouldn't ought to be trying to run this country or anything. It ought, it ought to be him running this country, him and his allies and his well-informed people who are the deep state, you know, uh, high-level bureaucrats. And the idea, when you are President Trump and you come into office and you are radically shifting things away from the previous radical left president who was trying to fundamentally transform America into a weak country with poor, you know, poor public image in the world, a weak country that won't fight for anything. Obama is trying to change America into this weak conciliatory, get along with no matter what, we don't stand for anything thinking. And Trump's trying to come along and say, no, actually, we're America. America's back. And we're going to be strong. And we're going to demand that things that were treated fairly in a whole variety of ways. And we're and so the new president, by the way, is Zelensky. I'm going to play this clip. I, I have one little clip to share with you. This is one more clip from the um, hearing this morning. I don't want to forget about playing it for you. There was a, a great congressman from the state of Texas, uh, Ratcliffe, who was asking questions um, in this impeachment hearing this morning, basically pointing out to the star witness of today that even Zelensky is saying there was nothing wrong in that call. I didn't feel coerced. But I want to ask Matt the Wonderful to play this other clip I have of John Ratcliffe making, asking his questions today. Thank you both for being here. It's obvious from your testimony today that you both care a great deal about 
U.S.-Ukraine relations. It's also very clear that you're optimistic about President Zelensky. Um, Ambassador Taylor, you related uh, one of his first acts in office was to remove immunity from deputies, which had long been a source of corruption. I know you had a number of personal dealings with him. Has he given you any reason to question his honesty or his integrity? No, sir. In your prior deposition, um, I asked you, and I'll, uh, I'll read it directly, um, if nobody in the Ukrainian government is aware of a military hold at the time of the Trump-Zelensky call, then as a matter of law and as a matter of fact, there can be no quid pro quo based on military aid. And to your knowledge, nobody in the Ukrainian government was aware of the hold. And your answer was, that is correct. Is that still your testimony? Uh, Mr. Ratcliffe, um, at, at some point in September... I'm, I'm talking about on July 25th. Ah, July 25th. Sorry. Yes, that's correct. That's correct. They did not know this. All right. And as it turns out, President Zelensky agreed with you. On October 10th, President Zelensky held a press marathon with over 300 reporters where he said repeatedly and consistently over hours and hours that he was not aware of a military hold during the July 25th call. In fact, in his official press release from the Ukrainian government available on his website that I'll be introducing into the record, he said, our phone conversation bears no relations to arms. They blocked the provision of military assistance prior to our telephone conversation, but the issue had not been discussed during our conversation, I mean, I didn't even know. So now, in addition to confirming that because he had no knowledge uh, of it, there was no quid pro quo involving military aid during that call, President Zelensky went on to confirm a number of things, that there was no pressure, that there were no conditions, that there were no threats on military aid. There were no conditions or pressure to investigate Burisma or the 2016 election, that there was no blackmail that there was no corruption of any kind during the July 25th call. Again, from his official press release. Therefore, there was no blackmail because it was not the subject of our conversation with the President of the United States. There were no conditions on the investigation, either because of arms or the situation around Burisma Company. He told Reuters there was no blackmail. He told the LA Times there was no pressure or blackmail from the United States. He told Japan's Kyoto News, I was never pressured and there were no conditions being imposed. He told ABC News and the BBC, I'm against corruption. This is not corruption. It was just a call. The Ukrainian president stood in front of the world press and repeatedly, consistently, over and over again, interview after interview, said he had no knowledge of military aid being withheld, meaning no quid pro quo, no pressure, no demands, no threats, no blackmail, nothing corrupt. And unlike the first 45 minutes that we heard from the Democrats today, that's not secondhand information, it's not hearsay, it's not what someone overheard Ambassador Sondland say, that was his direct testimony. Ambassador Taylor, do you have any evidence to assert that President Zelensky was lying to the world press when he said those things? Yes or no? Mr. Ratcliffe, if I can respond. My time is short. Your time yes is or no. That's right. I have no reason to doubt what uh, the president said. Okay. You know, I, I, ha I know that was a lengthy clip, but I want to make this point. The entire reason we're having this impeachment proceeding is was eviscerated just by that Q&A. 
And John Ratcliffe is making the point, and the witness is fumbling around. But that witness, we'll have to talk about him another day. That witness is a lefty. He helps Soros-funded organizations. He's a lefty, but whatever. He kept saying, I, I'm not taking sides. I'm just giving the facts. But what you heard Ratcliffe saying is that the very basic argument of why Trump should be impeached has been eviscerated by the president of, of Ukraine, who's saying, this, this is just, it never happened. There was no pressure, simply never happened. Folks, I'm gonna turn my last, uh, to kind of merge my last two topics for today uh, because I wanna get to my why it matters. But the two topics were whistleblower hypocrisy and what due process means. I just wanna make this point. The Democrats have said they're not going to produce the whistleblower, just not gonna produce him. He doesn't have to testify. Everyone in Washington, everyone in America who wants to know knows the whistleblower's name, but they're protecting this whistleblower and saying because he's a whistleblower, he cannot possibly be coerced to testify. And this is inconsistent with the promise of our Sixth Amendment to the Constitution, which is the due process argument President Trump has been making. The Sixth Amendment specifically says, any witness in a criminal trial has a right to be confronted with the witnesses against him. So he, but the Democrats are saying he can't, President Trump does not have the right to confront the witnesses against him and compulsory process to, um, compulsory process to obtain witnesses in his favor. So I raise these points to say that this um, proceeding is gonna go on and on for weeks and the, the Democrats will drag it out but just this day, this very first day as the hearing starts, please get these following points clear and tell your 100 best friends. The very basis for this impeachment hearing is a whistleblower guy who is refusing to come forward, who we know worked for Biden, an opponent of the president, worked for John Brennan, consulted with the Democrats and, and Schiff before he filed his whistleblower complaint, this is a tainted witness whose very complaint is, was the launching point for this impeachment process. So even if you generally think whistleblowers ought to be protected and this is unfair, you know, they, we give them whistleblower protection and then we expose them. In this case, what this guy is doing, what this guy did was to consult with the president's enemies, to work with the president's enemies, and come up with a, an accusation of, I heard, I wasn't there, but someone told me something, I didn't hear it myself, and we're in the middle of an actual impeachment of a president because of this guy. This guy should be for it. In fact, I actually, with one of the many pressure points we need to put on Congress is, if you, if the Democrats will not produce this whistleblower, all bets are off, you cannot impeach someone, you can't convict someone, in violation of the Sixth Amendment. You can't convict someone if they didn't get a chance to confront their accusers and point out the bias of their confusers. You can't convict the president if the whistleblower doesn't testify. And now, my friends, I wanna tell you why these stories we talked about today, tell you again why they matter to you. On the stories we talked about today, an impeachment and this uh, fight now, People do not surrender that this thing is going to go on and on and going to end up in a removal of the president. Fight every day. Don't even agree with anyone that impeachment will be voted on by the House. A serious, plausible, deep state plan has been posited at Conservative Treehouse. House votes to impeach. Senate has a six to eight week trial to convict and remove President Trump by secret ballot, perhaps. Mike Pence takes over as president and Nikki Haley becomes VP. Deep state wins. Trump is taken out. This is a serious possibility being 
posed by someone who's been right about a lot of things. Now is no time to wait and see. Do not do the wait and see what the House does. No time to trust a Republican-controlled Senate. Now is the time to raise holy hell with your elected representatives. Calls, emails, texts, letters, maybe a march on D.C. We must stop this abomination. Impeachment fervor, why? President Trump's election was America's rejection of eight years of leftist ideologue Barack Obama and his left-wing America-weakening policies, including weaponizing the federal government, using and abusing NSA, CIA, FBI, DOJ, IRS, orchestrating massive uncontrolled immigration and refugee relocation, sanctuary cities, all enabling long game plan for permanent Dem majority voting base, weakening the military and therefore America fostering erosion of American manufacturing and the related middle class while growing dependency on government via expanded government assistance programs, defying the Constitution's treaty requirements and the climate deal and the Iranian deal and transferring $150 billion to that sworn enemy of America, embracing globalism and diminishing the unique greatness of America. And impeachment fervor, why? President Trump's election and the Trump agenda exposed and exploded every element of the Obama legacy. It threatens the deep state, the mainstream media, the ruling class, hold on power as no president ever has. And Barr Durham is looming as an even bigger personal and perhaps prison threat to the Obama holdovers who committed crimes against America. This is the reason for the impeachment fervor. The fervor has nothing whatsoever to do with the Ukraine. On Vindman exposing a deep state, the transcript of Mr. Vindman's testimony illustrates a simple but profound reality. He believed President Donald Trump was making decisions in opposition to American foreign policy as set by Obama, and he wanted to stop Trump. It's that simple. Reminder, the president, by order of the Constitution, makes American foreign policy, not Mr. Vindman. A president making foreign policy is not an impeachable offense. A subordinate to the commander-in-chief who disobeys orders? Let's find out. And what due process means, as the Sixth Amendment to the Constitution includes in all criminal proceedings, the accused shall enjoy the right to be confronted with the witnesses against him. No whistleblower statute overrules the express wording of the Constitution, and the whistleblower, and, the, and who is known to be an Obama holdover, to have worked with Biden and Brennan appears to have launched a contrived hearsay complaint about a presidential phone call on the assumption the transcript would never be released and the contrived nature of the complaint would not be exposed. He thought he wouldn't get caught. President Trump and his counsel must be allowed to confront this accuser. Schiff is blocking this for one reason. The truth about this whistleblower will out the deep state fraud behind this entire plot. And that, my friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Thank you so much for tuning in every Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time. Love to hear from you. You can email me at americacanwetalk at gmail.com. I ask for your support in liking this Facebook page, following me on Twitter at Debbie Can We Talk, subscribe to my, my YouTube channel, America Can We Talk, and most of all, speak up for America because America needs us. It need, America needs patriots to stand up for the unique, extraordinary greatness that is America. It's why I do this show every day, to speak up for the greatness of America, because America matters. I'll talk to you tomorrow. America, can we talk truth about America? Can you